You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Today, though, I'm looking ahead to my second term, and I'm very proud to announce my choice for America's next Secretary of State, John Kerry. In a sense, John's entire life has prepared him for this role. As the son of a Foreign Service officer, he has a deep respect for the men and women of the State Department, the role they play in advancing our interests and values, the risks that they undertake, and the sacrifices that they make along with their families. Having served with valor in Vietnam, he understands that we have a responsibility to use American power wisely, especially our military power. And he knows from personal experience that when we send our troops into harm's way, we must give them the sound strategy, a clear mission, and the resources that they need to get the job done. In an extraordinarily distinguished Senate career, and as chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, John's played a central role in every major foreign policy debate for nearly 30 years. As we turn the page on a decade of war, he understands that we've got to harness all elements of American power and ensure that they're working together. Diplomatic and development, economic and political, military and intelligence, as well as the power of our values, which inspire so many people around the world. As John has said, we are an exceptional nation, not because we say we are, but because we do exceptional things. And I'd say that one of the more exceptional things we've seen in recent decades was when John helped lead the way, along with folks like John McCain and others, to restore our diplomatic ties with Vietnam. And when he returned to the country where he and so many others had fought so long ago, it sent a powerful message of progress and of healing. Over these many years, John's earned the respect and confidence of leaders around the world. He is not going to need a lot of on-the-job training. Uh, he has earned the respect and trust of his Senate colleagues, Democrats and Republicans. I think it's fair to say that few individuals know as many presidents and prime ministers or grasp our foreign policies as firmly as John Kerry. And this makes him a perfect choice to guide American diplomacy in the years ahead. On a personal level, John has been a great friend. I've appreciated John's partnership in helping to advance so many of my foreign policy priorities, including the ratification of the New START Treaty. I've called on his talents and diplomatic skills on several occasions on complex challenges from Sudan and South Sudan to the situation in Afghanistan. And each time he has been exemplary. Of course, I also have to say thanks because John invited a young Illinois state senator to address the uh, Democratic Convention in Boston. Uh, I was proud to serve with him on the Foreign Relations Committee uh, under the tutelage of Joe Biden uh, and, uh, and where we all became friends. Uh, but of course, uh, nothing brings two people closer together than weeks of debate prep. Uh, John, I'm looking forward to working with you instead of debating you. Uh, finally, I want to thank Teresa. Uh, as someone who came to this country as an immigrant, she understands the shining values that America represents to the world. As a former interpreter at the United Nations, she appreciates how our interests can be advanced in partnership with others. Uh, Teresa, thank you so much for being John's partner in this next endeavor. Uh, 
I have to say, you know, I think uh, I speak for uh, John and Joe and myself. You know, we just left uh, Danny Inouye's funeral, uh, a man who exemplified the very best of the U.S. Senate tradition. Uh, and so uh, I know that, John, it won't be easy uh, to live the Senate, uh, leave the Senate that you love. And I think it's fair to say that there are going to be some great challenges ahead. Uh, an uncertain world will continue to test our nation. Uh, but even with all the challenges that we face, I have never been more confident, uh, more optimistic, that if we act with wisdom and with purpose, and if we're guided by our values, uh, and we remind what binds us together as Americans, the United States will continue to lead in this world for our lifetimes. So, John, I'm very grateful that you've agreed to take on this new assignment. I'm confident that the Senate will confirm you quickly. Uh, I guess you won't be able to actually appear and preside at the same time, <laughs> so we'll have to figure out how that works. Uh, but I know that you are going to be an outstanding Secretary of State. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you. Congratulations. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on this 24th day of May, 2013. Welcome to episode 268 of the Corbett Report podcast. Meet John Kerry, Skull and Bones Ambassador. Now, what we have just been forced to endure for the past few minutes is the nomination speech in which teleprompter-in-chief Obama passed on the baton of the State Department from Hillary Clinton to John Kerry. And although I'm sure that many of the people in the audience will not need to be told why that the, the utterance of those words makes the bile rise in the back of my throats, for those who are unfamiliar with why that would be the case, perhaps you can just reflect for a moment on the fact that this is a position that was once held by the likes of Thomas Jefferson, and in our current day and age has been held by the likes of such uh, lying, treasonous war criminals as Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, Hillary Clinton, and John Kerry. But if you are unfamiliar with the background of John Kerry, who he really is, what he really represents, and what agenda he may be forwarding during his time as Secretary of State, never fear, the Corbett Report is here to fill in whatever gaps might exist in your knowledge on the subject. So today we're going to start exploring that question of who John Kerry really is and what he really represents. But before we get into the real information, I think as always, it's beneficial for us to at least understand what the official narrative is is and the official boundaries of the official discourse that's officially allowed by the would-be officials who want to officiate every a aspect of our lives. So why don't we turn to the, the usual types of uh, introductory remarks and, and uh, other uh, summations of John Kerry's life and career that tend to exemplify the establishment view of John Kerry, the, the sanitized view of who he is and where he comes from. So let's just take an introduction from a, uh, a rather uh, standard speech that is given to introduce John Kerry at the types of events where he makes his speeches. You know John Kerry's track record. Um, started as a, a decorated combat veteran of the Vietnam War. Uh, then went to law school and served as a prosecutor. Started in local government, as so many of us do who serve, a wonderful way to serve. Then state government in Massachusetts, and then nearly 30 years 
as a United States Senator and the only committee that he served on from the day he became a Senator until his last day in the Senate was the Foreign Relations Committee. He grew up in a household with a father in foreign service. This is, this is family for him and not just a, a vocation. It's a, it's a family calling. Now, as I say, that's a pretty standard introduction for John Kerry and represents pretty much the official party line on who he is and where he comes from and what he's all about. And for those of you who find that somewhat lacking, well, obviously there is a lot more to fill in in someone who has had such a long career in public service as John Kerry has. So uh, there are many other aspects of his life and background that might be touched upon in broad summations of his of his background, including such things as, uh, of course, there, there may be clips played from his uh, speech when he returned from Vietnam that really kick-started his political career and uh, launched him onto the, the national stage as an eloquent defender of Democrat values, whatever that might be, etc., etc., and those types of parts of his background. And that would be the type of glorification, reification, deification of this political puppet that would be represented on the likes of MSNBC and other purveyors of the left side of the officially sanctioned New World Order, One World Government paradigm. Now, on the right side, of course, there is uh, boundaries for a debate or for uh, for holding some of these uh, political puppets to account. But, of course, that's only within a certain boundary of discourse. So what is the acceptable limits of, uh, of criticism of Kerry? Well, it doesn't stray too far outside of, for example, making fun of him, as you would expect as Secretary of State, for, well, making up countries that don't exist. They fight corruption in Nigeria. They support the rule of law in Burma. They support democratic institutions in Kyrgyzstan and Georgia. Did you hear that? Well, John Kerry praised diplomatic efforts in a country that, in fact, doesn't exist. The secretary apparently confused the poor landlocked nation of Kyrgyzstan with its oil-rich neighbor to the north, Kazakhstan, creating a sort of hybrid between the two. Now, as laughable as such a gaffe is, and as deserving as John Kerry is of our ridicule for having committed such a gaffe, considering that he is the top diplomat in the land of a country that considers itself the leaders of the free world, I think we can understand that pointing out such gaffes is not exactly the most hard-hitting critique that's possible of someone like Kerry during his time in office of the Secretary of State. So let's start rolling up our sleeves and peeling back some of the layers of the onion that the controlled corporate media will never venture into when discussing the important operative facts about this political puppet who serves his political puppet masters quite well. And uh, let's start by exploring an interesting part of his biography that, again, is not mentioned very often, and if so, only in passing. And that's the fact that John Kerry, like many other senators in the U.S. Senate, is exceptionally, phenomenally wealthy. A billionaire, in fact. And not necessarily just because of his own family background or his own business dealings, although he certainly has attain attained quite a bit of success through that, but also because he married into money. In fact, uh, John Kerry is, of course, part of the Hines family through marriage to Teresa Hines Kerry, who herself was the widow of John, Senator John Hines, who died in exceptionally bizarre circumstances in a completely freak helicopter plane crash accident in 1991. This is Channel 3, KYW-TV, Philadelphia. 
A suburban schoolyard explodes in tragedy this afternoon after a plane and a helicopter collide in the skies above. Seven people are dead, two children, and U.S. Senator John Hines. Good evening. I'm Beverly Williams with Steve Bell. Pat Shiraki has the night off. Eyewitnesses describe a terrifying scene. Flaming wreckage plunged without warning into a quiet neighborhood in Lower Marion, Pennsylvania. Senator John Hines was en route to Philadelphia International Airport when his small plane collided with the helicopter. Debris from both aircraft fell onto the grounds of the Marion Elementary School. Senator Hines and two others aboard the plane were killed, as were both crew members of the helicopter. Two children playing with classmates at recess died when they were hit by debris. In addition, three other children and two adult staff members from the school were injured. Well, didn't that work out quite well for John Kerry at any rate, whatever the circumstances that might have led to that moment? But, uh, but as I say, John Kerry, of course, was no stranger to uh, the pampered, privileged background of the upper crust of the liberal uh, establishment on the East Coast. And as such, with his family background, as the teleprompter-in-chief noted at the top of today's episode, being the son of a foreign service officer, Kerry was quite familiar with the inside-the-beltway politics and how things function in the corridors of power. So it is only to be expected that, of course, he attended an Ivy League institution, and not just any Ivy League institution, but Yale, which happens to be the home of a certain secret society. Oh, that's right. Skull and Bones, and yes, he was a member. Something that you would probably not know if you tuned into the corporate media, except for one brief mention during the 2004 presidential election, during which uh, Skull and Bones member George W. Bush was running against Skull and Bones member John Kerry. A point that was so bizarre, so exceptionally bizarre, that it was in fact brought up by Tim Russert during a couple of his interviews before he keeled over of a heart attack. But other than that, and despite the fact that the subject was immediately dropped after both candidates uh, immediately made their displeasure with the question known, that, that's pretty much the extent of the coverage of the Kerry-Bush-Skull and Bones connection, which one would have to admit is a little bit strange that in a land of 300 plus million people, that the two people running for the highest uh, pres uh, office in the land, the President of the United States, would both happen to have been members of the same secret uh, society that functions at one pr uh, particular Ivy League institution that takes in 15 members a year. Uh, that's a little bit too much of a coincidence, even for the coincidence theorists, to shoehorn into their paradigm, which is why this fact is conveniently ignored by them. But it's not just ignored, it is assiduously uh, avoided by anyone and everyone with a microphone and the ability to ask John Kerry a question, because if one does not avoid asking him about this uncomfortable part of his past, one is very likely to be tased, bro. Also, are you a member, were you a member of Skull and Bones from College and Bush? Were you in the same secret society as Bush? Were you in Skull and Bones? Thank you for cutting my mic. Thank you. Are you going to arrest me? Excuse me. Excuse me. What are you arresting me for? Whoa, 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 whoa. Is anybody watching this? I'm not doing this. I want to do
his chest. I mean, it's really is ridiculous. I think you've ever heard this this situation. You don't have an option. You can all have your stomach. Why are they arresting me? Did someone do uh, something here? I'm being arrested. Because it's a very important question. What did I do? Get off me! Get, 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 get the fuck off me, man! I didn't do anything! Don't tase me, bro! Don't tase me! I didn't do anything! Sadly, that is exactly the type of reaction we would expect to an uncomfortable question posed about the past and or practices of a Secretary of State. And for more on that, I think you just have to ask Ray McGovern about Hillary Clinton. But yes, um, suffice it to say, at the end of the day, John Kerry was a Skull and Bonesman. In fact, a Bonesman who went by the, nick the Skull and Bones nickname of Long Devil in honor of the fact that he was the tallest Bonesman of his class. This is an on-the-record documented fact, but the question, of course, is what does this fact mean? And I'm sure for many people in the audience, you won't need too much of an explanation about Skull and Bones and what it is, where it comes from, how it functions, or why it's important. But for those who do, I would, of course, invite you to turn to episode 93 of the Corbett Report podcast, where we explored in more detail about Skull and Bones, and we dug up the Skull and Bones establishment to expose it for what it was. But there is uh, lots of information out there about Skull and Bones and how it functions and what purpose it serves to formulate this uh, establishment clique that then goes on to self-perpetuate and leads to the absurd spectacle of the 2004 presidential election of Bonesman versus Bonesman, for example. And, uh, and again, it's important to understand what this is, not only because of the, the spiritual mumbo-jumbo that they tried to inculcate these would-be ruling elite with, and whatever, whatever reality or lack thereof that those practices actually have, it certainly does tend to inculcate in that would-be ruling class the idea that their bonesman bonds are stronger than their, their bonds, even familial ties, uh, their brothers under the skin, as they say in the Skull and Bones establishment. And, of course, this perpetuates a certain caste, a certain clique with a certain idea, a shared agenda, which they then uh, go on to implement in their various uh, fields of choice over the, uh, the ensuing decades, and they always help each other out in that endeavor. So what is it that John Kerry is going to be promoting as the new Secretary of State? Well, unfortunately, uh, given that he's just another one of these minions that come from the same cliques and the same circles, the same CFR, uh, Bilderberg, uh, Trilateral Commission slash Skull and Bones establishment, he's really just going to perpetuate the same types of talking points and lines that we've seen through previous secretaries of state and previous administrations in this run-up to the New World Order, or at least further implementation of the New World Order. So, for example, I mean, one thing that we can point off to right off the bat is that just like every other well-heeled billionaire Democrat, I'm looking at you, Al Gore, uh, John Kerry also believes that you, the average uh, person on, on the street earning however many thousands of dollars a year, 
you have to personally atone for your carbon sins. Copenhagen is not about one country or one faction simply making a demand of another. It's the science itself demanding action from all of us. As fingers point in one direction or another, as frustration grows with the politics of one country or another, we just can't afford to lose sight of the reality that no country individually and none of us collectively are doing enough. None of us. And, of course, he will continue to foster the relationship with the now-admitted-on-the-payroll CIA asset, Hamid Karzai, in Afghanistan. A show of unity between the U.S. and Afghanistan. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry met with Afghan President Hamid Karzai during an unannounced visit to Afghanistan Monday. The meeting comes after weeks of heightened tensions between the two countries. Earlier this month, Karzai accused Washington of holding peace talks with the Taliban in Qatar without him, adding the Taliban were colluding with America to keep foreign troops in the country. But following Monday's private meeting with Kerry, Karzai rejected that interpretation of his comments. Now, the media took that to say that I said there is a collusion. I never used the word collusion between the Taliban and, and the U.S., and those were not my words. Those were the U.S. picked up by the media. Kerry also referenced Karzai's earlier comments. Uh, I'm confident that the president absolutely does not believe the United States has any interest except to see the Taliban come to the table to make peace and that we are completely cooperative with the government of Afghanistan with respect to the protection of their interests and their people. The New York Times is reporting that the CIA, and this is a technical term, quote, made it rain in Afghanistan. What does that mean? That means they delivered bags of cash over the years to President Hamid Karzai's office in the hopes of gaining some influence. Karzai confirmed receiving the money during a tour of Northern Europe today. And exactly like previous Secretary of State Colin Powell, he will lie and completely distort the facts. In fact, go 180 degrees in the opposite direction from the findings of the United Nations when it comes to weapons of mass destruction findings that he personally believes will make it difficult for the U.S. to implement its war agenda. There is no question in my mind that this fight is about the the terrible choices that the Assad regime has made with its willingness to kill anywhere from 70,000 to 100,000 of its own people now, to use gas, which we believe there is strong evidence of use of. Previously, the U.S. has said it had, quote, varying degrees of confidence that sarin was used by Syria's government. The UN says there is evidence that chemical weapons have been used in Syria, but it suspects rebel forces are responsible, not the government. But as I say, these are the exact types of platitudes and positions that we would expect any political puppet to take in his position at this current time in the Obama administration. So is there anything that really would set Kerry apart? Is there anything that would suggest that he is specially equipped to 
to function in in ways that perhaps someone like Hillary Clinton wouldn't be? And uh, the answer is yes. And again, it goes back to the skull and bones roots of John Kerry, but not necessarily in the way one would think. Again, regardless of the rituals and seances and whatever else the, uh, the bonesmen participate in in their coffins there in the tomb on Yale's campus, it's important to understand that one of the most fundamental things that is inculcated in the Skull and Bones uh, would-be ruling establishment is that sense of camaraderie and also the sense of secrets. The ability to keep a secret your entire life is exceptionally important, not necessarily because of the rituals that the Skull and Bonesmen perform are just oh so important, but certainly because, for example, Skull and Bones formed the basis for the Central Intelligence Agency, back during its creation in the 1940s. Wow, lo and behold, pretty much every uh, formative uh, CIA uh, leader, director came from Skull and Bones and was part of that establishment back in the day. Not only, of course, people like Alan Dulles, but hey, how about someone like George W. Bush, who absolutely did not just stumble into the position of director of the CIA, despite having no ties to the CIA before then in the mid-1970s. He was, from the time he got out of college onwards, from the 1950s onwards, deeply embedded in the CIA and was a CIA asset through his Zapata, uh, Zapata offshore oil operation, which we've explored in this podcast in the past. So, Again, it's important to understand that the intelligence agencies really are just an outgrowth of these secret societies and are the secret societies just continuing on under different guises in different ways. This is an exceptionally important point and one that was drawn out in my recent conversation with researcher Jeremy Reese. So let's listen to a little bit of that conversation. Uh, And a lot of this structure is people through interdependence you know, like a lot of these corporations, they may not understand the end game of of, of loss of sovereignty and 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 supranational institutions and, and sort of where everything's moving. But they'll protect the economic banking substructure every step of the way so that their business doesn't collapse and so that their infrastructure stays intact. Right. And really, all they need to know is the That's environment the that they're protecting this. themselves in, not really where it's going. Um, those are the better elements of a, of a conspiracy, which drives these people to be part of it or, or, or engage in it. And it's not like you have like uh, all these other people out there saying like, oh, it's just because they're the embodiment of Satan or they're pure evil is why they're doing all this. You're fighting no. against. I mean, that's just think, it's a symbolic representation <laughs> of sort of what it's supposed to be. But, you know, in many ways, the whole reptilian and all this other stuff to sort of distract <laughs> people from actual human beings who are setting up policy, who have been documented to carry out banking changes. I mean, it's very well recorded throughout history, the power players, their positions in history, their influence of media, their influence of politics. It's it's right. very, I mean, if you spend the time, it's there. And a lot of these alternatives of what we I consider disinformation. Like dis- dismantle the actual pyramid. Don't just focus on the symbology of, you know, the symbol, you know, like go look into it. The devil's in the details. Uh, and, and I mean, if you want to get into some of these other things, like the way I see skull and bones, I don't see skull and bones as a society that really worships this sort of notion of Satan, or maybe some of them believe they do. I, I have no idea, but it's a breeding ground for cronies. It's, it's a cronyism breeding ground for the elite to create a brotherhood between an elite who can be tapped into political positions and carry on the, the, the ideals and, and the agendas of the elite. And in many ways, they kind of go through these conditioning trainings of sacrificing the public 
for their goal. And it's just, it's these sort of metaphors for what they're doing in general. But the big thing is to tap the elite, the best of the best of the Ivy League schools, uh, the smartest of the smartest, and, and tap those people into these positions of power before they can, you know, join up with people like us. And the death symbology that surrounds so many of these, these societies as well. I mean, it's not only Skull and Bones, but of course the Freemasons and, and all of these groups have these oaths that you have to take on penalty of death that you will never portray to spill the secrets. And and I think we can obviously see, not only trace historically, but see generally the idea of the secret societies of old transforming into the intelligence agencies of now. I mean, the CIA was founded from Skull and Bones, and I think there's a reason behind that type of connection. Absolutely. Interesting stuff, but how does this specifically apply to John Kerry in his position? Well, again, it's not too hard to draw out, especially when one looks at the actual history of John Kerry's record of service in the Senate, and what he was not necessarily responsible for doing so much as what he was responsible for shutting up about, or or revealing so much of and shoving it under the rug. Because it is absolutely astounding when you go back into the record, for example, what was revealed in the 1980s and 90s about CIA drug running, and just how integral John Kerry was to exposing that uh, admitted established fact in the United States Senate. Something that, oddly enough, he doesn't seem to really be too concerned about now that he's Secretary of State. Whatever you believe, Gary Webb's stories have revived interest in an issue that's been simmering since Ronald Reagan was at the White House. Were U.S. government officials aware of drug smuggling in and around the Contra movement? And did they simply choose to ignore it? One U.S. senator says, absolutely. There's no question in my mind there is a complicity in the flow of drugs into this country, period. A Senate investigation led by John Kerry of Massachusetts found that individuals who provided support for the Contras were involved in drug trafficking and that one or another agency of the U.S. government had information regarding the involvement either while it was occurring or immediately thereafter. Incredibly, according to Senator Kerry, smugglers even used the U.S. government's own airlift operation at El Salvador's Ilopongo Airport to get cocaine back across the American border. This drug enforcement agent patrolled that same airport in the mid-80s. It was just non-stop traffic coming and going. And nobody ever, ever uh, inspected their planes or their cargo or whatever. Sele Castillo told Dateline he observed rampant drug smuggling at that airport. Well, what we had was we had Contra pilots flying out of Ilopango uh, smuggling uh, drugs into the U.S., cocaine specifically. He claims the smuggling was so open it had to be condoned by the U.S. government. Castillo says planes would arrive filled with supplies for the Contras, then leave carrying cocaine for America, bound for military airfields in Florida and Texas, offloaded out of sight of the law, then shipped to California and other points in the U.S., and there's more. Castillo says when he reported all of this to his bosses at the DEA, he was told to ignore it. So you were told point blank. Point blank, stay away from it. It's a covert operation being run by the White House. In a letter to Dateline, the Drug Enforcement Administration said it has vigorously investigated and no evidence has ever been found to substantiate Mr. Castillo's charges. As for the CIA, it's denied ever aiding or condoning drug smuggling. 
reports were reaching the highest councils of our government, in the White House and in the Justice Department. There is no question of that. I can document that. There the White House and Justice Department disputed Kerry's report at the time. But he still believes some government officials turned a blind eye towards drug dealing in the mid-1980s, after the time at the heart of Gary Webb's stories. There were no indictments or prosecutions. And ultimately, those allegations of drug smuggling became just a footnote in the scandal known as Iran-Contra. According to Kerry, at the time, American officials were more afraid of the evils of communism than the ravages of crack cocaine. I'll tell you, South Central Los Angeles and every other city in America are owed an explanation. People knew that drug trafficking was getting mixed up in the flow of weapons. People knew there were bad types involved in this operation. They didn't turn off the spigot. That's plain and simple. That's right. Kerry was once a linchpin in the investigation into CIA drug running and was responsible for one of the reports that absolutely and unequivocally proved and admitted that it's an established fact that the CIA have been involved in drug running in the past. And again, this is not something that has ever really, that anything important has ever really developed from this. It was simply admitted, exposed, written in a report, and moved on from, which I would posit is exactly what we would expect from a well-heeled Skull and Bones member who has moved to the upper echelons of political power. Know when to look, know when to look the other way, know when to write a report, and know when to shut up about a report. And I think that that is uh, pretty exemplary of exactly the type of Secretary of State that John Kerry will be. I think he will be the kind that knows when to look the other way, knows when to shut up, and knows when to uh, simply fulfill his political master's orders. And that, my friends, is John Kerry in a nutshell, but of course there's much more to explore about his life and background, so I'm going to leave you there today to start doing that for yourself, but I certainly hope that you'll let me know about your own endeavors to find out more about Kerry and the types of interests he's really serving, and of course I'm always interested in the details of those explorations. You can contact me through the contact form at CorbettReport.com to let me know about the progress of your own investigations. And on that note, I'm going to leave you there for today as I, in the background, rush to make off uh, to, to uh, burn off several more copies of the Corbett Report data DVD. Thank you to all the orders that have come in so far, and uh, and I am rushing to get them out as soon as they're coming in. So I'll be sending out some more of them today. So once again, uh, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com thanking you all out there for your support. I'm looking forward to talking to you again real soon. And silver star, Lieutenant John Kerry saved the day. Here we go. Help was on the way. Help was on the way. John Kerry's gonna save the day. Help was on the way. The Corbett Report is brought to you by you. Your support makes the Corbett Report possible. Sign up for the subscriber newsletter or purchase a DVD at corbettreport.com/support.